The Nerdalogs is a Chicago-based sketch group that writes comedy based on shared true, personal stories about our existence as lifelong nerds. We started your stories to give everyone a chance to do what we do, share their own stories, and foster a more heartfelt, welcoming nerd community. Your Stories is about embracing the weird and obscure in your life and asserting your geekdom with a group that gets your references. And, most importantly, Your Stories is a place to bring people up, not to put anyone down. Try to keep your stories around five minutes, laugh at jokes, cry if appropriate, and applaud everyone who has the guts to sit here, tell a story, and come out as a nerd. Hey everyone, my name is Eric Arnault, and welcome to part two of the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories December Annual Celebration. We just turned one year old, and we are partying with stories based around the word annual. This time out, hear speakers reflect on holiday traditions, talk about yearly goals, play Super Smash Brothers, and more. Uh, from Ed Soderberg, Andrew Bentley, Marnie Thompson, Lauren Rodriguez, Sawyer Heppies, Claire Friedman, and Joe Gennaro. Dwight Hassler and I also continue playing some of our favorite songs from the past year, including tracks by Ben Folds 5 and Fun, uh, Fun Period, by the way. Well, we had a very special sponsor for this episode of the Nerdalogs uh, that I want to say a few words about real quick. They are Chicago Loot Drop, a charitable organization that raises money to buy toys and games for kids in hospitals, which is a great cause, uh, especially around this time of year, when hospitals seem just a little more miserable than usual. Uh, if you want to support Chicago Loot Drop, go to chicagolootdrop.org online, or just look them up on Facebook. They are a great group of guys, and we appreciate their support very much. Uh, so if you haven't noticed, it is the holiday season, and the Nerdalogs has its very own holiday special coming just around the corner. Actually, it's our take on the legendary Star Wars holiday special, one of the worst things to ever air on TV ever. If you come to I.O., 3541 North Clark on Friday, December 21st, just before midnight, you can enjoy a Nerdalog show unlike any we've done before. Tickets are just $5, and we'll be sure to fill you with the Life Day spirits. Also, our next Your Stories recording, uh, you know, the recording of the thing we're listening to right now, is tomorrow, December 16th, at our usual home, the Upstairs Gallery, 5219 North Clark in Chicago. As always, this show is free and starts at 7 p.m. Since we're so close to the holidays and everyone has a lot on their plates, we thought we'd make the next show open-ended, uh, meaning there is no one specific topic, so come talk about whatever you want and get on the next podcast episode. Uh, one last note, your stories will be releasing a couple bonus episodes as the end of the year approaches, so keep checking our website or your iTunes podcast feed for more Nerdalogs goodness. Until then, happy holidays, everyone. something it took a while this morning something was on my doorstep what's this i'm holding time capsule order cause i'm a brand new man and i don't think i want it A garden of mics and questions and photo flashes blind me And I'm so high, I can't recall my statements I only know I made them because my face vibrated Was it all in my mind? I could have sworn I saw it I thought that I was fine Just fine, but I call it oh If you're 
bunch of speed on gravel Two have come apart, I must have once been rattled Now when pretty phrases don't mean nothing And I wanna sell them, I sing the line again So smooth you can hear the beard, so smooth you can hear the beard twice before over the course of the last year. I think the first story I did was um, how someone did my knee in uh, over Deep Space Nine. Yeah. And the other story was uh, erectile dysfunction over Dungeons and Dragons stress. Um, so this, this story was going to be a little bit different. I have notes on it. Um, it was like two-thirds story, one-third tribute. I'm kicking out the story. I'm just leaving the tribute. Um, so before I talked about things that happened in the past that shaped me, and I'm very kind of stubborn and set in my ways as a person. Um, however, there's someone I met this year who probably changed me more than anyone else. I told them recently, um, of the five meaning meaningful conversations I've had all year, um, two of them were with this person, and I came out of them, like, changed. It actually changed my personality. It changed the way I would deal with things. It changed the way I was going to act in a situation, and ultimately, I did things... Um, God, this sounds terrible about that story. I did things that I'd never done before and never thought I was going to do. Uh, it's Eric Garneau. And so, like I said, you know, two of the five meaningful conversations I've had this year 
have been with Eric. And what sets Eric apart from most people, I think, is when you're talking with someone, they're either going to... What? I just will be looking at you. Eric, what sets you apart from most people is in a conversation where most people will either kind of just wank you off agreeing with you or kind of vindicate their own point of view on things just by forcing it down your throat. Eric simultaneously is one of the most supportive people I've ever met, as well as being the most brutally honest, and you don't get those together. Is this making you uncomfortable? I can... Keep doing it, that's fine. <laughs> so I had a couple conversations with him this year, and um, they changed me. I think, um, okay, I won't put it all on you, in small part because of Eric, this has been one of the happiest years of my life. Nothing's really changed superficially, but a lot has changed about how I look at things, how I, uh, what I do, um, how I do things, how I think about them, um, and... Okay, so redacted, redacted, redacted. <laughs> and I couldn't believe I would ever redacted, but I did. With my balls in my throat, I just redacted. Um, I was thinking of Eric the whole time. <laughs> so I think Eric Garneau, um, I think the role he has in this is kind of indicative of his role in a lot of people's lives on a broader scale. He's um, supportive, uh, you know, selfless to me. He's always treated me like a prince. Um, he's insightful enough, um, as well as kind of bold and steady enough that you can lean on him and really get some, some insight out of him that's worthwhile. And uh, I'm a happier person for knowing him. I've really known him for like a year now. I knew him before. Um, but because of this, I get a chance to see him um, at least once a month and talk with him afterwards when we're both a little bit drunk. Um, but yeah, so to Eric Garneau. Let me tell you why Ed and I started hanging out, because I think there's, there's an instructive lesson for everyone who is a performer. I met Ed at a mutual friend's housewarming party, and he made a joke about jizzing in my beard, which is fine for me, because I'm not easily offended. But that was kind of the basis of our Facebook friendship, and then we didn't see each other for a long, long time. And then because I would always post about Nerdalog shows, Ed was like, you know, I'm going to come check one out. The show he came to happened to be the first recording we did a year ago, so that's very fitting. And because Ed came to this show, and I, I hate to toot my own horn, but Ed just did it. I'm like, you know what? I owe Ed. So I'm going to go and go to shows that Ed is going to because he's cool as hell and he came to my shit, so I should spend some time with him. And so I think the month of December, like every fucking Sunday, we went to a show. And it wasn't a show either of us were in. It was just a show we wanted to enjoy. So I can't stress this enough because comedy which I'm only a minor part of, but I was in a band too, I know what this world is like. You need your friends who do the same thing as you to go to your shit, go to their shit too. Be a good yeah. friend, yeah. don't just promote and think that you're more important than they are or whatever. Not that that's your conscious thought, but I think a lot of people are like, well, I don't need to go to their stuff, they'll still come to mine. It's give and take, right? So thank you, Ed, for getting me to go out and do shit with you, and you're one of my best friends, so Aww. thank you so much. All monologues from this point on must be about me. <laughs> and, and Andrew Bentley, come on. Uh, this piece is not about Eric Garneau. Uh, 
But he has seen it, which I like to think counts for something. Uh, no, um, rather than doing a, uh, a normal story, I'd actually like to do a performance piece. Uh, this is something that I did for the very first time uh, at Nerdlogs uh, a little over a year ago. Uh, I was testing it out. I've gone on. I've done it around the city uh, a couple times. Uh, I think it's a good fit for Nerdlog, so I'm going to commit it to recording here. I also haven't done it in a year, so let's hope I remember it. <clears throat> it was 5 p.m. on a Wednesday, and the Dark Side Bar was deader than a character with a cough at the end of an Edwardian period piece. <laughs> the bottle of Jack Daniels behind the bar had been eyeing me for the better part of an hour, but I had to keep my wits about me, so I stayed dry like Stephen Wright. <laughs> The broad hadn't shown up yet, as usual. I swear, sometimes I felt like Hulk in Driving Miss Daisy, always waiting on a dame. Plus, I'm a good driver and I can't read. <laughs> the bartender was an old nautical sort, grizzled as hell and saltier than Peter North's bedsheets. <laughs> I was about to ask him his story when the door opened. I had been expecting a woman, but I got a surprise. Bangkok all over again. <laughs> the hairs on the back of my neck felt the shotgun before I saw it, and I drew on him, faster than if he'd passed out drunk at a frat party. I filled him, I filled him full of lead like I was a Chinese toy maker, and when he dropped, I looked for ID. A waiter read it to me. <laughs> Barry Giddens. I didn't know the dead man. By now, the bartender was more pissed off than a bridge behind a brewery, and I could hear sirens in the distance, so I beat it like John Kellogg's son on December 15th, 1943. <laughs> yeah, she gets it. <laughs> I needed information, so I headed on down to the dock where the boys hung out. I'd been betrayed. And now I was looking for someone who used to be trade, rough trade. The other boys called him Straight Jake, but he was more flexible than the name implied. <laughs> He'd made more compromises for the sake of a buck than Zack Schneider's Watchmen. <laughs> as a result, his back end was in worse shape than the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. <laughs> I'd heard him fart once, and it sounded like Darth Vader's respirator. <laughs> Still, I had to hand it to him. He knew the city. I mean, I've been through more shit than Andy Dufresne, but Jake... <laughs> Jake had been kicked around the block more times than the ball, the 2001 FIFA World Cup qualifying match between Australia and American Samoa. <laughs> That's 31 times. <laughs> he could tell you things about the city more esoteric than Liechtenstein law, albeit... Not quite as esoteric as that Kellogg reference from earlier. <laughs> he didn't trick so much ever since he'd gotten that job at Walmart, but he'd still come by every now and again to treat me to a little bit of information, so I staked out his old haunt and I waited. And I waited. And I waited some more. Finally he came, slower than a drunk wearing two condoms, but he got there. <laughs> I wasn't disappointed. Which is more than I can say about the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. <laughs> Turns out this Giddens was a regular. 
with a taste for the dark meat. To hear Jake explain it, he'd paid more for a black crack than Michael Richards. <laughs> As a result, and once more, I was in luck. He liked to shoot his mouth off like Kurt Cobain. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Here, Jake Teddy worked for some broad named Rita up on the north side. Rita, my client. I hopped in my car and sped north as fast as it would carry me. I burst through the door like the Kool-Aid man. If the Kool-Aid man used the door instead of coming through the wall. I burst through the door like Kramer, angry Kramer. <laughs> I went inside. <laughs> she was waiting for me. I had my gun drawn, but she didn't bat an eye. Like Blackwater, she wasn't concerned about the peace. <laughs> she had balls, I'd give her that. She had more balls than a 13th century boys' choir's trash can. <laughs> she asked me why. I spelled it out like a Polish guy at the DMV. In the end, she played it like Anne Frank in the bathroom. She went quietly. She almost seemed surprised to see the police station. Perhaps she thought I would kill her, but plugging dames is like pinstripes. Not my style. After they booked her, I, I walked around for a while and I thought about the case. Hadn't been one of my better cases. Anticlimactic. Unresolved. Like the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. <laughs> but I couldn't complain. This was the life I chose. And in the end, life is like old people fucking. It's not always pretty, but it goes on. <laughs> Thank you very much. That story is Eric approved, so thank you. <laughs> Marty Thompson, everybody. Annually, my family tries to do something related to our Scottish heritage. Some years, it's just singing Auld Lang Syne on New Year's, uh, but other times we go all out. And all out includes trips to the Scottish picnic, the Highland Games, and the Feast of the Haggis. One of my earliest memories of witnessing alcohol abuse happened at one such event. <laughs> when you're a kid, you hear about people getting drunk, or you see like Homer or Al Bundy stumbling home on TV. But in real life, it could be kind of hard to tell. There was a whiskey tasting going on, and I was walking past it, and a man was at the table with the host explaining how uh, this is a Glenfiddich single malt, 20-year-age scotch. And the man had several empty glasses in front of him already. He takes his final swig and he goes, that was great, boom, falls over. <laughs> I was very young, I had no idea what was happening. <laughs> so like the Johnny Walker ad says, I kept walking. <laughs> Another summer, Sarah and I went to the Highland Games. We saw the cute Scotty dogs and the Irish wolfhounds and the hot <coughs> tossing dudes. And at these events that happen in the middle of summer, people don't care that it's 110 degrees out. They will wear their wool kilts, their tartans, their tall wool socks, the fuzzy sporins, their vests and the shanters. And some, men's, some men will wear their kilts well. Others, it's a little more questionable. Uh, Sarah looks across the field and she says, ha, check out that guy. And from the back, he's this older guy wearing a kilt and he had regular like cotton tube socks pulled all the way up. And he had these black gym shoes on and a black tank top. <laughs> Mostly 
bald. He kept what little Harry had left pulled into a ponytail. Oh. And then he turned around, and it was my Uncle Harry. <laughs> so, uh, the Feast of the Haggis is a Chicago-based tradition, bringing together Scots of all ages for a night of bagpipes, fiddle, Scottish dance, and haggis. There's other food, but the main interest is watching people at your table have their first bite of haggis. Prior to serving it, the Toastmaster will recite the Robert Burns poem, Ode to a Haggis. Um, these are my favorite verses. But mark the rustic haggis fed, the trembling earth resounds his tread. Clapping his ample fist to blade, he'll make it whistle. And legs and arms and heads will cut off like the tops of thistles. You powers who make mankind your care and dish them out their bill of fare. Old Scotland wants no watery stuff that splash in small wood dishes. But if you wish her a grateful prayer, give her a haggis. Some, like Uncle Harry, will ask for seconds and thirds. Others, like me, will take the smallest bite possible, washing it down with a shot of whiskey given alongside it. In two words, haggis is awful, as once you've had it, you don't quite forget the taste. It is also awful, spelled O-F-F-A-L, <laughs> referring to the fact that it is made of organ meats, stuffed in a sheep's stomach, and served out of a lacquered ram skull. It's very metal. <laughs> the success of the evening is very much based on how well the haggis is prepared by the event staff. And this is tougher than you might think, as I don't believe that they teach how to make haggis in American culinary schools. But uh, this past Friday's dinner was actually pretty decent. It was a little more like corned beef hash uh, rather than dog food, like I'd had before. So... I sometimes wonder if I'll pass this interest in genealogy and heritage down to my children. In such a shrinking world, is it even still a viable pastime? People seem to be a lot more interested in where they're going rather than where they came from. But these events keep me coming back year after year. And so with traditions and memories like these, how can I not pass it on? Thank you so much, Marnie. That was awesome. Um, Lauren Rodriguez, come on up. Do it. All right, so up until about five minutes ago, I didn't think I was going to do a monologue. But in true annual fashion, I guess, this is the first time that I'll do your stories. Um, I think that when you think about annual, think about the year starting, New Year's Eve, Christmas, things like that. But as a teacher... New Year's Eve really means nothing to me. And to me, the biggest holiday of the year is the first day of school. Um, if you think back to when you were little, I think everyone can kind of get behind that. And the promises you make to yourself on the first day of school. This year, I'm going to try harder in school, or I'm going to talk to that pretty girl, or I'm going to go to prom this time, or not go to prom this time. <laughs> All the different promises you made as a kid, and usually those never came through. And I think that on the other side of it, as a teacher, we try to make promises to ourselves that we'll actually do. This year, I'm going to grade more. This year, I'm going to grade less. Um, this year, I'm going to be more of a teacher or more of a person, and I think that those are always the promises that we make to ourselves in the first days of school. Um, and I think the first thing I thought of to tell was my first day of teaching. And coming from a long line of teachers, I'm a third generation teacher, the first day that I walked into school I saw my mother's name all over the building. And all the acclimates that she had done, as if life wasn't fucking scary enough, <laughs> had to live up to that. Um, and then I, I thought about telling the first time that I wasn't scared on the first day of school, but 
that hasn't happened yet. So. <laughs> um, but I think that what I will tell the story of is the first time that I actually met a goal that I had set before I even started teaching. Usually, and this is my fifth year teaching, which is frightening, um, but usually the first day of school I make myself a promise, like I'm going to go to grad school, which I did. I'm going to graduate from grad school, which I did. Uh, I'm going to become nationally board certified, which as of Saturday I am. Yeah. Thank you. Um, but the first promise that I made myself on the very first day of school was that I would do both parts of my life. That I would be a teacher and I would be an actress, and that would be my life. And until this summer, that was never reality. I wasn't able to do both. Um, before I started teaching, and I was a student teacher, I tried to do both, which equated to me trying to write sketches while I was teaching in school. Um, the sketch show that I happened to be in during student teaching was called The Penis Monologues, which then equated to adapting the vagina monologues to mention penises while my kids were eating lunch, which was a lawsuit waiting to happen. <laughs> Pretty sure. Um, but this past year, with all of my school behind me up until this point, I decided that I would go to an audition. And I feel like the hardest part of that was not the auditioning, which I hadn't done in four years, and it wasn't the learning of a monologue or anything like that. It was overcoming labels. And I think for the longest time, I had labeled myself as a teacher as someone that teaches other people how to do things and never did anything myself. And I think as nerds, oftentimes we do that. I'm a nerd, I'm a geek, I'm a jock, and I think that we end up living in those labels. Um, and for the first time in my life, I overcame that label, and I was cast as a 12-year-old girl. <laughs> <laughs> Who, ironically enough, thinks she's a superhero. <laughs> so in the end, I wonder if it's really a matter of finding new labels without ignoring the old. I saw Lauren's play. It was great. I really think you were the best part of it, which is awesome because everyone else like studied theater. Not to shit on them because they did great, but you were the best part. Way to go, Lauren. Yeah. Right? It is true. It is true. Uh, Sawyer Huffies. Alright guys, we had a lot of laughs tonight, but I'm here to talk to you about a very serious threat. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Is it poverty? No. Unemployment? Hardly. A new Star Wars? Good candidate. But I think a Brad Bird directs will be okay. TBS's King of the Nerds? Very strong contender, but still no. It involves the holidays. And I can assure you, it's not one of Rick Perry's crackpot, ignorant PSAs. No, no, it's, it's a very serious threat. I call it the red and green scare. It is. Look how terrible it is. Aww. See, now that Halloween's... Now that Halloween's ended, we have a terrible, terrible menace caroling on our doorsteps. I remember a simple holiday that provided a nice, strong barrier between the two, separating the two, giving a strong distinguish, allowing Christmas to have 30 days instead of 60. It's called Thanksgiving. You love it. I love it. It's my favorite holiday of the year. It's predicated on a number of magical things, such as football, family, food, and most importantly, gravy. 
<laughs> lots and lots of gravy. <laughs> sure, it may be a simple holiday predicated on a fictional relationship between us and the natives. But uh, it's not that Christmas is without its fair share of trail of tears. Now look, I have nothing against Christmas. I enjoy it. Especially the Mr. Magoo Christmas Carol, probably one of my favorites. But I just kind of wish it would keep to itself. Respect Thanksgiving. Just wait a few more days. It's only fair. So please, ladies and gentlemen, I ask, don't let this turkey die in vain and be forgotten. All right, thank you guys very much. And if I may say really quick, uh, and all, uh, all joking aside, though, I really want to thank you guys for, for having the Nerdalogs. It's one of the few, few bits of performance I can do at least once a month. And I haven't been here for the full year, but it's been a blast so far. And here's to many more years. Yeah. <laughs> also, that shit is true. Like, nothing drives me crazier than hearing Christmas music in the stores right now. Like, yeah. oh my god. Stop yeah, it. I really want to hear that Thanksgiving <laughs> I want to hear good music that doesn't drive me bananas. Uh, Claire Friedman. You know, she was Kimbra, guys. This was Kimbra. An hour what? Ago. This was Kimbra who came in late on her birthday. Thank you. Um, given that it's uh, been one year since the podcast began, I'm going to talk about the same thing I talked about a year ago on this podcast, which is something that I do once a year this weekend. Uh, which is speech, uh, which used to be my entire life. So y'all can go listen to like the last podcast if you want to hear about that. But to give you a, like a real, uh, <laughs> to give you like a real brief overview of how um, my school is about it, because I understand usually it's like ten kids who like wear a sweater on a Saturday and get up and talk in front of people, and those kids do so because they have no one else to talk to. I understand that. <laughs> um, and they're fine people. Um, my school had a 110-person team uh, my senior year, the year I was captain of it. And I went back and looked uh, at the old uh, records uh, posted from the past 14 years for which schools are schools of excellence. Um, there are always at least three Minnesota teams that are in my district on that top 10 list. And the only one that has been on every year is my school. Woo! So really into it, you guys. <laughs> the reason that it comes up this weekend uh, is because this weekend is a tournament uh, that takes place in the northwest suburbs called Glenbrooks, um, which I, uh, ever since I've graduated, have been involved in in some way. So when I was uh, still in high school, I competed at it, and this is the sixth year I've gone to that tournament for one reason or another. Um, and when I first moved to Chicago, one of the things I thought about immediately was like, great, I can coach and judge that tournament. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I did. I stayed with the kids at Chaperone the entire weekend. I stayed in the hotel room with them. I spent, you know, seven hours coaching them the Friday before. I dedicated an entire weekend to watching kids I didn't know mm. um, and judging them. <laughs> um, which is great. Uh, uh, and this year... Um, the, the real important reason, and the real important reason that I've gone to it for the past few years, is because my little brother is there. And uh, if, if there's two things I love, uh, it's speech and my little brother. <laughs> um, so, he, yeah, he's 17 years old, which means he was born in 1995. Oh. <laughs> 
Jesus. Which I only pointed out to make people make that noise. He was three when the Matrix came out. No. <laughs> he was four, and he watched it with me the first time I saw it. No. My, well, no, my mom saw it. My mom saw it, The Matrix, and she was like, this is a good movie. He should watch it. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, he's 17 now, and it's funny because when I left, uh, he had when I left to move to college, he had just turned 12, um, and I see him whenever I go home, which is less and less often as the years go on, and every time he seems to get older and older, and I remember as his voice changed, I would call home on the phone, and his voice would just get lower every single time, <laughs> and now he's got like this super, super low voice, and it's the weirdest thing to, to, to see this kid who couldn't do anything because he's 12 a child uh become this very smart very competent adorable person i almost called him a man but i couldn't and um usually i go up and i coach just <coughs> to make sure i can work with him and just to coach him and the first year that he came out his sophomore year of high school um I was amazed at how good he was. He, at, as a 15-year-old, was better than I ever was, and a better performer than I am now. And he wound up getting second that year, which I was very proud of, out of a, turn, out of a uh, field of about 200 competitors um, in his category. Uh, and he kept doing well. And, he's, and it was amazing, and it was so such a prideful moment for me because he was doing it because I had done it. And that was really, really special to me. And it was always something that I could share with him and always something that we could talk about. And every year when he comes down, my parents aren't there, my older brother's not there. It's just me and him together doing this thing. Uh, and he's really, really good. <laughs> um, and so this year I was talking to him and I, and I wound up having the Nerdalogs show the same day that he was coming up. And so I was like, hey, Andrew, if, if you want me, I'll come up and coach you. Otherwise, I'm going to stay here, and I'm only going to coach you. I'm not going to coach any other kids this year. We kind of went back and forth about it for a while. He was like, you know what? I, I think I feel really good about this. I kind of want to just review my uh, speech. You don't have to come up if you don't want to. And I was like, okay, I won't coach this year. And it was the first year I haven't coached. Um, so the next morning, I went and picked up my older brother, and just like tournaments when we were in high school, Got up at 6.45 in the morning on a Saturday, drove out to some shitty high school <laughs> in some shitty suburb, and got to sit there and watch him do this thing that had been so important to me. That's lost a lot of importance to me, but is still because he does it. And I was watching him... Um, Perform Fifty Shades of Grey, <laughs> which he has cut into a ten-minute humor piece. <laughs> I sat in a room with uh, six other 15, 16, 17-year-old kids, one college student who gets 200 bucks for judging this weekend, and then me and my older brother, who knew what he was going to do when we walked into that classroom and still just were like, yep, we're gonna be uncomfortable. 
This is fine. But he handled it really well. Uh, he he uh, cast my mother as the narrator and impersonated her, uh, <laughs> getting offended at every sex scene that came up and refusing to say it and skipping it through. Which is good, because I told him, Andrew, if you do sex scenes, you're going to make every judge feel like a pedophile. Uh, and I left, and I was... Uh, Happy with him, but I also realized that that's the last time I'll probably go to that tournament um, because I've lost my connection to it. Uh, when I went to college, I uh, walked around the student activities fair looking for something to replace speech because college speech is terrible. Don't do that. And I, I walked up to this booth and it said improv. Um, and I uh, talked to the person behind that booth for too long, probably 15 minutes, about how excited I was to try out. He was like, yeah, cool, try out to this day. All right, great, come on this day and try out. Cool, yeah, glad you're excited. Come to this day and you should just try out for improv because that's all the information I had for you. Um, and that person is John Oki, whom I'm still on a team with here. Um, and next year, my little brother will be going off to college uh, and will be a real fucking grown-up. He'll be able to vote, and he'll probably drink, and do things at college. Um, (laughs) 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 Uh, But one of his uh, requirements for college is that wherever they go has an improv team. Because he saw what I did with that and what I do with that now, and he wants to keep following in that and keep doing that. And my hope someday is to be able to do a show with him here or somewhere. Because as, as, as much as I appreciate that he has kind of done all the things that I've been doing, um, it's gotten to a point where he's grown up and I look up to him. And... He's a grown-up, you guys! He's so old! And I love him very much. Thank you, Claire. Uh, I like to just edit one point you made early on that you can go back and listen to your first talk about uh, speech on the podcast. I would say you should do that. Um, I, I, cheap plug. Uh, we got one more story, and then we're going to take the night out. Mr. Joe Gennaro, why don't you take it out? Please come next month, though, and, and share. Thank you. Certainly did not expect to go last. Uh, Make a good show. No, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, this week's, uh, this month's theme is annual. Uh, and that made me think of uh, the holidays, obviously, which we've covered, and traditions, which we've talked about. Um, growing up with my family, we weren't a very big family. Um, my, my dad has a brother. My mom has a sister. I have two cousins on one side, four on the other. And that's it. Like, I know some people have, like, you know, dozens of cousins. Um, so, yeah, you guys. Um, so, uh, pretty much every holiday tradition involved going to my grandmother's house, which was my mom's mom. And then my mom's sister and her family would come. Uh, they had four kids. One was a boy and three were girls. Uh, the boy was just a year younger than me, and uh, still is, actually. <laughs> uh, and uh, 
so so he and my he and my brother would play video games every chance we got whether it involved bringing the Nintendo 64 or the GameCube or the PlayStation or the PlayStation 2 or our Game Boys whatever we could every time it was a holiday it was time to play video games it was our opportunity to hook it up to the TV play as much as we could before the adults took over the TV and started watching football, which would be Thanksgiving. Um, so I, I don't have a monologue today, uh, contrary to what I've just been speaking to you. Uh, um, it, it's kind of a, a blending of the, uh, the sports and the video games. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask that uh, my fellow nerd and one of my best friends, Chris Geiger, join me up on stage. And then uh, we're just going to be reading this, this little thing I wrote. That's really, I really wanted that dick to still be here. Because I was going to call you a dickhead. I decided that if it was still up here, I was going to take it down before I came up. Because oh, I realized when Bentley sat down that it, it looked like it was just shooting right out of it. <laughs> this was the desired effect. Perfect. <laughs> Accomplished. It was perfect. Um, so yeah, so we, I, I just have this little little piece that we're going to read, and then that'll be it. Hello, fans, and we're glad you can join us on what we hope is an afternoon of action. Yeah, it's good to be here on this beautiful Thanksgiving day. Got my turducken. I mean, you can feel it in the air. Both sides are excited to be here, and we're excited to watch. <laughs> Thank you, folks, for tuning in. I'm play-by-play -play commentator Ray Whipple, and I'm joined for color commentary, as always by Spence Cadbury. Cad, what do you think about today's matchup? Well, Ray, I see this as a classic matchup of speed versus strength. I mean, everyone expects the big guys to come in and push around the little guys, but that puts a chip on those little guys' shoulders. I think we're going to see a heck of a game. <laughs> I sure hope so. And let's introduce our competitors in this, the 13th annual Super Smash Brothers Brawl. <laughs> Bowl. <laughs> Me and, Kat, me and Kat have been drinking since this afternoon. Happy Thanksgiving, you folks. Yeah. I shot four beers in that turducken. I've been fishing them out ever since. On the red team, we have last year's champions. The dominating lineup of Donkey Kong and Bowser. Two total powerhouses that pack a punch. Yeah, a punch. And yeah, then... Uh... <laughs> Our challengers, the boys in blue, is that nimble pair in Pikachu and Captain Falcon. Uh, those are the two fastest of the characters in the league, and watching them perform together should be very exciting. Well, with that Pikachu, you could even say it's going to be electric. You could say that. <laughs> We've got a big stage here, Zelda's Castle. They have a great, uh, great buffet. Uh, oh, absolutely. And, and it's a big stage, which I think can be an advantage to Falcon and Pikachu. I, I'm really excited to see what happens here today. Well, the good news is we don't have to wait any longer to find out. Oh, shit. As longtime competitor Mario would say, here, here we, we go. go. <laughs> All right, and the fight begins. Oh, right off the bat, we have Captain Falcon and Bowser squared off in the Whoa. middle of the stage. Bowser holding off Falcon with a wall of oh, fire. Oh, fire breath. That's a classic Bowser. I mean, he's used that for decades to Texas Castle hasn't worked so much, but it's a complete, <laughs> complete frontal assault. Absolutely. Falcon able to jump over Bowser lands behind him. Uh, Captain Strikes with a Falcon okay, punch. punch! See, that is the speed I was talking about. You'll never see a Wario or a Gandalf make that kind of move. 
Or a Ganondorf. <laughs> what did I say? Gandalf. Oh, Gandalf too. Gandalf, not a competitor yet. He's available in the DLC. I found six beers. I found six beers and that's a duck in the Good, and then, oh, and Ra Bowser roars back. Whoa. Bowser withdraws into his shell and starts spinning in a circle. You know, that is going to let the King Koopa catch his breath. Smart move there. Now, near the edge of the stage, we have Donkey Kong and Pikachu grappling. Pikachu grabs Donkey and throws him off the edge. You know, for being a little yellow rat, that Pikachu sure shows some brawn. I mean, look at how strong. He picks up that m big monkey right over his head. You know, he's got, he's got really big muscles on his upper strength. You know, he's, he's, he's going to be... He's gonna be someone you, know, you want to watch out for. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You could say that uh, P Pikachu's unexpected strength comes as a thunder shock. Uh, DK spins through the air like a whirly bird, landing safely back on the stage. Remember, each character has one life, so if they fall off the stage, they cannot return to the fight. Uh-oh, you can see Donkey's winding up for his infamous donkey punch there. That is a truly devastating move, and you do not want to be on the receiving end of that giant ape fist. No, and Peach sure learned that the hard way in the previous round. <laughs> Kong draws his fist back for the dreaded donkey punch and connects with Pikachu. Oh, no. Oh. Oh, boy. Oh, Pikachu. P Pikachu's down, and he's not getting up. <laughs> Oh, you can see Bowser is flagging for the Pokemon trainers to come from the sideline. <laughs> so the, the, the clock has been stopped. Cal Captain Falcon has rushed to his partner's side. He's, uh, he's begging for Pikachu to show him his moves. Oh, God. <laughs> you, look on the, you look on the replay here. It's a, you know, oh, oh, you, you hate to speculate. You always hope to see those guys hop right back up, but this Pokemon, he's still down. All you can do is hope they get into a poke center fast. <laughs> well, they're, they're driving the board out onto the field now. Uh, looks like yeah. they have a strap Pikachu yeah. to the... Yeah. Strap Pikachu to the board and yeah, uh, yeah. cart him off the yeah, field. Yeah, that's good to see. He gave a thumbs up and a little pika to the audience. <laughs> <laughs> we, know, we know his family is watching from home, so Pichu, Raichu, our thoughts are with you. <laughs> and so Pikachu is taken off the field on the Mario Kart. Uh, we're going... <laughs> To go, we're gonna go to break, and we hope to have some more information when we come back. Yeah, this is a dark day for a sport. But next up on the the Pretender. Oh yeah, this. make sure you stick around. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Joe and Chris. Okay. Yes. Give me a second, I. I need to get my story straight My friends are in the bathroom Getting higher than the Empire State My lover, she is waiting for me Just across the bar My seat's been taken by some sunglasses Asking about a scar And I know I gave it to you months ago I know you're trying to forget But between the drinks and subtle things And the holes in my apologies, you know I'm trying hard to take it back so if by the time the bar closes and you feel like falling down, I'll carry you home tonight. We are young, so let's set the world on fire. We can burn
by the Chicago Sketch Comedy Troupe The Nerdalogs and is recorded the third Sunday of every month at the Upstairs Gallery in Chicago, 6219 North Clark Street. The stories you hear have been prepared and presented by the speakers on a volunteer basis. Your Stories is recorded and co-produced by Sean Patrick Boyle. Our theme song comes from the band State Shirt. For more information on The Nerdalogs, Your Stories, and more, go to www.nerdalogs.com.